Hello and welcome to the Protect Your Peace podcast. I'm your host, Najee Robbins, and today's episode really kicks off the focal point for this entire first season, which is centered around rest. So before we dig into questions like, what is rest and how does it differ from sleep and what gets in the way of rest, I wanted to share a bit more about my personal relationship with rest and more specifically, one of my experiences with burnout and how it led me to centering rest and honoring my basic needs more in my life. So speaking of the basics, please make sure you've got some hydration and perhaps a snack nearby. Take at least one mindful breath and let's dig in. All right, so before I get started, I want to offer a content note about this episode. Firstly, I will be swearing. Secondly, and more importantly, I will be discussing my experiences with anxiety and harm, specifically at work. And that may feel activating for your system, depending on your personal history. So please honor if these topics feel too emotionally expensive for you to listen to today. And if for any reason you start to feel your body or your system giving you signals to pause, just circle back to this episode when you have capacity for it. And I absolutely encourage you to use this little musical break that's going to come in a second to pause and offer yourself a few moments to check in before proceeding. The first anxiety attack I ever had that I recognized as such was in early 2019 in the bathroom of my last job. Our leadership team, which I was a part of, had a book club that day. So I was arriving a bit early to get settled in uh, while the last class of the morning was still in session. And I remember coming into the lobby of the studio rounding the corner to hang up my jacket and seeing the belongings of one of my bosses. And I quickly realized that he was in class, which meant I knew I was going to see him when class ended. And it would be the first time seeing him since he had tried to fire me a few weeks prior. And I guess, I mean, technically I was fired for like 90 minutes. He suspended my work account just before he started walking into the studio. So I had a little kind of flag up in my head that something was about to happen. And he presented me with a letter of resignation and everything. And then unfired me by the end of this quote unquote meeting. He also spent the better part of this meeting yelling at me. And at one point getting so close to my face, I thought he was going to lay his hands on me. I was not alone in this experience either. I was with two humans who graciously, once the storm kind of started to clear, defended me and were also prepared to walk out if I was fired. And I will forever be grateful for them because I know that that shit was not easy to say and that navigating that experience really for all of us in that... <laughs> tiny closet. Yes, the meeting was basically in a glorified storage closet uh, in the studio, um, was a difficult one. And to this day, this experience is the only time that I've ever felt really physically threatened at work. And this wasn't exactly the norm at the yoga studio that I worked at. This is just some of the context with which this first anxiety attack sits within. And it's important for this story because as I reflect back on this time, it was really like the beginning of the end for me. And before that, I never used to identify with anxiety. Depression, yes, 100%. Depression felt like a familiar companion originally introduced during my adolescence, but anxiety, not so much. And 
it never really felt consuming the way that depression had for me. And I think I always conceptualized anxiety as it looking or feeling a very specific way, like the way that you would see someone have a panic attack on TV. And that never really fit my experience. And so it's really only been in the last couple of years that I've started to realize I had also been experiencing anxiety for as long as I can remember. I had just never really wrapped that word around it until I started learning more. And so when I realized I was going to see this boss for the first time since that quote unquote meeting in the glorified closet, I could feel my body starting to react without the ability to control it or keep it in a neat little box. I think up until that point, I'd always kind of been able to stay calm or to sidestep what was going on in my body if I deemed it like inconvenient for the moment in order to deal with whatever needed to be dealt with, in order to stay composed, like on the outside, at least. And I never really shied away from kind of doing hard things or having difficult conversations, which would usually kind of bring up maybe a lot of responses in my body or feedback in my body, whether it's the nerves or the anxiety of, of having those hard conversations. And I think that most people just didn't really see the weight of that really for me or the magnitude of the toll that that took on my mental and physical health. My official title at the yoga studio was director of teacher development and teacher training, which basically meant that my responsibilities were to hire the yoga teachers, support the existing teaching team of 20 plus teachers across three to four studios in various ways. And I eventually ran both the mentorship program and the 200-hour teacher training program. The latter of the two, I rewrote the curriculums for within the first couple of years in this position. So (laughs) if that sounds like a lot, then your assessment is absolutely accurate. I was also teaching weekly classes too. So I really felt often like there was a lot on my plate. And when I first started the job, I had already been teaching yoga for about four years. And in my experience, the person who occupied this position or something similar to what I just described always rode the struggle bus. Like sometimes it became all about this person's ego and their preferences in the role. Sometimes they were worn down by the responsibility of it all. And They weren't always respected or liked by the team. Some always made it clear just how hard the job was and just how demanding teachers were and how hard it was to work with so many different personalities. And as a result, just kind of became dictators who never really let teachers explore their individuality in a meaningful way. Now... Don't get me wrong, yoga teachers are, yoga teachers are an experience. I don't think that we are the easiest group of people to lead. And we are, we're also a product of the studio culture and environment and kind of yoga industry overall. So yoga teachers don't often, I think, feel supported by the studios that that we work for on multiple levels, whether it's in the form of financial support or professional development, or sometimes just bare minimum consistency of not experiencing a lot of turnover um, in the leadership capacity or having clarity about like what is going on moving forward. And a lot of teachers are teaching yoga in addition to working a full-time job. So it's not even necessarily their main focus. It's something they're sort of doing on the side. Or there are teachers that are like riding the edge of their capacity because they've taken on so many classes and they had to take on enough classes to pay the bills. And I think that that's a really kind of weird position to be in when part of 
our job is helping to create kind of a safe and supporting or supportive learning environment for students. We're super student facing. Um, We are the folks that kind of guide the majority of, of the experience that they have when they come into the studio. And all of kind of the stress and complexity behind the scenes can be a lot. And it can get in the way or really deeply affect how we show up to the studio and therefore how we show up for students and the community. So when I entered this role, I was pretty determined to rewrite the story. I wanted to help create something different especially having experienced kind of how shitty it can feel to teach in an environment where you ultimately don't really feel supported in the ways that you need or heard or valued. So from the moment I started the job, my focus was on ensuring the teachers had more consistency, felt supported, and really advocated for. I wanted to help steer the culture into a space where folks wanted to teach and really continue this process of repair between kind of the leadership team and the teaching team. But, uh, spoiler alert, that goal really ultimately came at the expense of my well-being, which I think is a really nice way of saying I low-key destroyed myself in in the process of doing this job. (laughs) I think... At the time, folks would probably describe me as calm and well-spoken, prepared, and definitely a bit of a shit starter. Like, again, not the one to shy away from a tough conversation that needs to be had to kind of move things forward or um, tackle like, hey, just because we've always done it this way does not mean we need to continue if it's not working. And... It's not that I wasn't those things, that I wasn't calm or well-spoken or prepared. Um, I just think most of the time people didn't see the toll that everything was taking on me. Like calm on the outside does not mean in any way, shape or form calm on the inside. And the nature of the job, the culture, the environment and the expectations that I put on myself was a lot. And I also think I didn't allow myself the space to fully see the toll that it was taking on me either. I wasn't even fully acknowledging that within myself. It's kind of like I kept that part of my humanity neatly tucked away from my workplace and even in a lot of ways from myself because it didn't feel like there was space for it. It didn't feel like there was space for the overwhelm or for how much, what that toll was really on my body and my overall health. Because to fully acknowledge that, all of that, (laughs) it meant I had to figure out how to carry the load differently or how to radically shift something, which might have meant, spoiler alert, it eventually did, that I would need to step away which did not feel like an option. I was so focused on doing my best and kind of being that advocate behind the scenes that I spent a lot of time working while also experiencing physical illness, chronic pain, depression, my friendly companion. Uh, Even this experience with one of my bosses, which I would describe as a really violating kind of traumatic experience at work, was all sort of kept under wraps. I was constantly trying to do my job and outrun these fundamental aspects of my humanity, these signals that were so loudly going off in my body about this not being sustainable. So when I started to feel this panic and overwhelm arise in my body with the knowledge that I'd have to cross paths with my boss, I made my way to the bathroom and I sort of ended up doing what I always did when my body threw a flag on the field and yelled, stop, do not proceed, (laughs) especially in regards to work. I willed myself to keep going. 
at the time, I truly did not have the capacity to reimagine approaching it differently. I brushed away my tears, took a few deep breaths once I could, stood up, left the bathroom, and had what appeared on the outside to be a very normal and brief exchange with my boss eventually. It was probably a little bit kind of quieter and internal, which I think at times would come off as being super serious when really a lot of times it was just me kind of trying to process and contain what I was feeling internally. And then I led the book club for the leadership team. And only the few other people who were kind of in that glorified closet experience with me, who were there in that book club that day, knew what had really happened with this boss. But to everyone else, things were kind of business as usual. It was just one of countless times I'd sidestep the signals in my body and shove down the reality that working in this environment was really chipping away at my well-being. But this experience, like I said earlier, was really the kind of beginning of the end for me. It was the beginning of me realizing that something had to change in the way I was approaching my work and really in the way that I was not prioritizing myself in my work. The moment I had this experience with said boss, I realized, oh, this place does not really value me or my humanity. And I don't necessarily mean that all the individuals in the space didn't value me and my humanity because there were some really lovely supportive humans who I worked with. I mean the structure of this space, the culture and the system that the studio operated on. The people who owned the place ultimately did not value my humanity. And it is the very thing that I was trying to reimagine for everyone else who worked there. This constant notion that if things aren't working, then we don't need to stay this way. And I was always kind of pushing for that for the team, really specifically kind of the team of teachers of like, hey, yes, these are yoga teachers who teach a class and therefore can help bring money into the studio, which I ultimately didn't really care too much about. Um, But they're also humans who have dreams and goals and things they want to learn more about and ways in which they need to be supported in order to teach a really great class, to feel skilled in doing that and passionate and connected in doing that. So how can we make sure that we support them and that our efforts really center how we can support teachers, even if it means changing our approach to things, especially if it's not working? And the other people who were in that glorified closet meeting with me told me that they would not blame me in the slightest if I left. And honestly, I, I probably ought to have left or just let him fire me, but I didn't. And a month or two later, I ran the next round of teacher training solo and kept going. By the summer of 2019, I had started approaching the job a bit differently. And this boss had backed off quite a bit in terms of his involvement with daily operations. There was also someone who had become a very close and dear friend who joined the leadership team and would be co-running teacher training with me. And I also thought I had found some semblance of this elusive work-life balance thing that everybody was talking about. It was also around this time that I led the quarterly teacher meeting. 
And I always made a point to conclude these meetings with questions for reflection, just something for folks to chew on in regards to their studentship, their teaching. And one of the questions I asked was, what do you want to learn more about going into kind of this second half of the year? And I, of course, took some time to reflect on my own answers, which in short, I wanted to close the gaps that I saw in my education as a yoga teacher so I could lead a more comprehensive teacher training. And specifically, I wanted to learn a bit more about certain aspects of philosophy and restorative yoga. And I language it this way for a reason. My draw to restorative yoga originally was not centered at all in my personal desire or draw towards rest. It was really because I needed to learn more about a practice that came up as a question in training that I couldn't effectively answer at the time. And it's not that I needed to have all the answers in training. This was just a particular one that kind of nagged me. And do I learn more through looking things up and reading? Absolutely. But when it comes to certain styles of practice, there was a draw for me to kind of dig in in a more immersive way at some point. And that would help me to kind of better be able to language and describe and discuss this style a bit more. So it was once again, this draw was once again from this place of wanting to help folks feel supported, which part of my job was through providing that comprehensive education. And prior to taking this job, I was kind of always knee deep in like a training or some sort of continuing education. Anybody who knew me during that time knew that I never really took like a proper vacation. I was always going to a city or like going on a trip because I also was going to do a training there. And that took kind of a much needed pause once I got deeper into this job. So I kind of kept kept that restorative yoga learning thing in my back pocket and made my way into the fall. And I pretty much spent the entirety of fall and winter 2019 sick. So in September, I had this super painful infection through October and November. I seemed to have a cold like every couple of weeks. I think the majority of my liquid intake was water, immunity juices from a local place and and NyQuil, honestly. And at the time, I was also co-leading teacher training, mentoring new teachers, continuing to onboard and interview teachers, attend leadership meetings, teach weekly classes, and develop and implement a new review process for the teaching team because one did not exist. And so much of my job was creating these processes that didn't exist and trying to do so from the place of how can I help folks to feel supported through this process and create kind of this system and this structure that's going to help folks feel supported long after I'm in this position? It was not just about trying to kind of set teachers up for success through these structures and systems, but also how to make the job, the job that I was in, not solely dependent on a specific person. Meaning like, if I left, I want someone to inherit some processes and some structures that already exist. I wanted to set the next person up for success in a way that I hadn't been. I wanted the job to feel easier for them because if these things were already in place or there was already a more effective kind of head start, it made it a lot easier to be in service to the teachers or to the team that they were going to be supporting. I completed almost 
30 reviews with teachers in less than a month. And so (laughs) I clearly had a really tough time pacing myself or even feeling like that was an option when it came to things like this. I had to work really hard to develop boundaries and not feel like everything felt urgent because so much of the work was like big picture thinking. Yes, putting out some more immediate fires, but I'm much more of a big picture thinker. Like, hey, how can we get started now on shifting so that a year from now or three months from now, it's not quite as much work. We're moving forward. But the thing is, in that environment, and I think in most environments, when you're trying to create any kind of cultural shift or create systems that work for folks and not against folks, you've got to play the long game. There's always going to be something to work on. There's always something that could be better. And I always felt afraid that if I didn't keep my foot on the pedal, or I always felt anxious that if I didn't keep my foot on the pedal of change and of moving forward and of making things better, then no one else would. Which I know now, when I start to get into that headspace, that it's a really strong signal that I'm actually incredibly stressed out and taking too much on and not asking for the help or the support that I need. Which... In this job in particular was really difficult, not just because asking for help or support is something that feels challenging or or uncomfortable for me, but also because a lot of the things that I was doing, I was the only person who knew how to do them, or these were the processes that I had created from things perhaps that I had learned. And so... In some ways, when you're going a million miles a minute, the notion of pausing to really try to train someone or the labor that's going to be involved to really try to get someone on board feels more insurmountable than just continuing to do it all yourself. And so in that way, at the time, it made it really hard for me to to clock out mentally from the job. My expectations of myself were irrational and nobody really stopped me to truly like check in and challenge the way that I was approaching the work. Certainly not myself. I was not stopping to challenge myself uh, about the way that I was approaching the work. And in part, I think it's because I was doing a really great job. Like, did I make mistakes? Absolutely. The job, one of the things that I think I learned and how I approached it was like, hey, you're going to screw stuff up. And you're going to screw stuff up in the way that you've experienced kind of being screwed over, being on the other side of this position, being a teacher, working for someone in this position. And I knew that going in. And so it wasn't ever about never making a mistake as much as it was about correcting those mistakes and learning from them so that I could do better. And so I was pretty good at my job for the most part. And I'm the type of person who can go into overdrive when I'm stressed or overextended. And in most workplaces, the behavior that follows, especially if you're doing a good job or staying on top of things, gets praised or seen as a good thing, which sort of reinforces this thought or this notion of like, oh my God, what happens if I stop and I let all these balls drop? What happens if I let the ball drop? Which in and of itself is kind of a whole situation that I assure you we will unpack quite a bit in future episodes, because I think that this can be one of the things that really gets in the way of us slowing down and prioritizing rest is that fear of the ball dropping, is that feeling when you're overextended 
and overwhelmed to push harder. So by January of 2020, I finally had the space to circle back to this desire to learn more about restorative yoga. So I found my way to my first training. Now, if you're not familiar with this style, I want to offer you a little bit of context. So restorative yoga is a fully propped practice. We don't do a ton of poses in a class. So you may in an hour or 75 minute class do like three or four postures. And then we settle into them for a long time while fully supported by things like bolsters and blankets, the works. So the body neither feels like it's stretching or having to hold itself up. This is really a practice that centers physical comfort. Now, at that point, I, like I said, had been to plenty of trainings and workshops before. And most of the time, the style that's practiced is a bit more active. So not only are you taking in a ton of information through lecture, activity, or conversation, you're also then practicing a more vigorous style for at least an hour a day, usually at the beginning and or end of the day. This restorative training was the first training I took where I actually had the energy to do things afterwards. And I spent three days, yes, taking in information, but also resting. We practiced so much restorative yoga over the course of this three-day training. And continually we were asked this question, how can you make this more comfortable for your body? How can you make this just a little bit more comfortable so that you can feel your body be at more ease? And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, Because at that point in my life, I had disconnected or sidestepped my basic needs on a regular basis for the sake of what I thought I needed to get done. So centering the comfort or the ease in my body was so, it was so far away from center. I was focused on ensuring that folks felt supported. And I had a really difficult time including myself in that equation, ensuring that like, I was part of the folks and not outside of the folks. And it not only did not feel accessible for me to center myself, I also didn't feel like I had the capacity to center it. Like my tank felt so depleted that the idea of stopping and really giving myself what I needed, which ultimately was like a huge break and rest, just did not feel like an option. So to be in this space, this training, where so much of the intention and the focus was on supporting one's body, it started to put things in motion for me in terms of the actions that follows. It was like answering a question or tending to a long requested need that my body and my system had been begging for, which was to fucking rest, to give myself permission to rest and to be in a space where it was encouraged and valued. It really was the residue that this training And this weekend of restorative yoga left behind that continued to nudge me in the direction of really accepting that I needed a huge break. Because the truth is I was exhausted and I had been exhausted and overextended for a long time, even before the specific job. 
And the environment I was in, the culture of this studio, which is not unique to this studio, it was, in fact, making it really difficult for me to be well. Did I often feel like I was barely keeping myself from drowning? Yeah. But it also felt really difficult to access any other viable option. What other choices were viable? The reality of this job was that in that environment, in the structure of that business, it required a lot to be done well. Honestly, it required a lot even to be done poorly. (laughs) There was a lot of responsibilities that probably ought to have been split between several people, and I felt it. But I also spent a lot of time second-guessing it. And... So in 2020, after that restorative yoga training, when a newly appointed CEO was getting a lay of the land, I remember her commenting to me that I was like an entire department in one person. And hearing that from someone kind of on the outside at that point gave me even more permission to accept just how hard this job had been. Because part of what happens when you're keeping all the balls in the air and not letting people see just how much it's like crushing you (laughs) is they let you keep the balls in the air. And it's so funny because when I think back to that time, I had so many conversations with teachers about doing the exact opposite. Like I would tell folks when I hired them in or when they were just starting off teaching, if I was hiring like a brand new teacher, hey, when you get hired, there's going to be a lot of opportunities that come your way. Classes offered to you to take on regularly, a whole bunch of subbing opportunities. And I would always encourage, like, play the long game. Really focus on sustainability. Always give yourself a few moments to think it over and assess, like, does it feel sustainable for me to teach at this time on this day for a while? (laughs) Because there's always going to be another class. There's always going to be another subbing opportunity. And I had such a difficult time, clearly, listening to my own advice about sustainability. I almost always felt like I could or should have been holding it together better or doing a better job. It always seemed like the people around me had this ability to to clock out or to kind of set the job aside. And I always wish that we were further along in our efforts. I wish I didn't feel so tired all the time. And in a way, honestly, it felt selfish and almost irresponsible for me to center my well-being because it was going to mean that there would be balls that would drop. Balls that felt really important to stay in the air to kind of keep the momentum and keep the support and consistency that had been built up. And so I just couldn't outthink that approach. There were so many points during this time in therapy, specifically during that fall of unrelenting sickness, where I said, I'm not sure if I can be well and work in this space. Like, I don't think that it's just a matter of my willpower. So I was exhausted. (laughs) I was burnt out and not because I didn't have the discipline or willpower to drink enough water and eat enough kale and get enough sleep or just focus on the positive things, which is a particularly irksome suggestion that genuinely comes from people, especially in the yoga and wellness spaces where people are like, have you just tried manifesting? How is your meditation practice going? Like, I think a huge misconception when we talk about burnout is that it is the result of an individual not caring for oneself. That 
I just needed more vacations and more sleep and more green juice. And it's not that. In their book, Burnout, Emily and Amelia Nagoski talk about how the cure for burnout is not self-care. It's all of us caring for each other. Burnout is not a failure of self-care. It's ultimately a failing of community care and how community care helps support and facilitate our capacity to care for ourselves. It's, it's a failing of the culture and the systems that we're a part of. Caring for one another and ourselves is only inconvenient and labeled as unproductive within the context of systems like capitalism where our value is directly tied to what we produce. Caring for one another is only inconvenient and unproductive when we are centering quote unquote productivity or the dollar over our humanity, our work over our humanity. Exhaustion and neglecting yourself in service to the dollar is only a badge of honor and a really fucked up system. I was exhausted and burnt out because, yeah, I literally did not have the capacity to prioritize caring for myself in the ways that I needed to and also do this job. And also because I was working in an environment that didn't center community care in a way that helped prevent folks on the team from burning out. In large part, because a huge aspect of the job from the moment I stepped foot in it, and even before I stepped foot into this particular position, was working with this boss, who, for context, is no longer a boss in this space. So working with this boss, and at many times with various people who really didn't understand the field or the subject of yoga, who weren't necessarily practicing it beyond taking classes, who weren't necessarily even interested in leading and supporting folks, the team in a way that radically centered their well-being and not just the money they brought into the space. It was often working with folks who at the very top didn't really understand the realities of being a yoga teacher, the realities of working in these spaces on the ground with students, which at many times presented for me this constant need and labor to prove myself, which sometimes I know I came off as an asshole about. Again, very stressed out at the time and also doing work in a field, in a space, in a subject that I really cared about. I loved the work that I was doing. I just didn't love where I was doing it anymore. And so the labor of proving why my suggestion was important, why a particular thing needed to be invested in or focused on or why we needed to do something differently or to prove why the hell I knew what I was talking about was exhausting. And a lot of the folks I was working with at various points in a leadership capacity were also burnt out or in roles that they really didn't want to be in or never fully signed up for. In roles where, yes, they were doing their absolute best with what they had, and they also didn't feel particularly supported or prepared. And there was so much on their shoulders in a way that did not really set them up for success. And that, my friends, that alone is exhausting. It's like a constant, mostly uphill battle that I never really clocked out of. Even at home, I would be brainstorming and talking through strategies about what needed to be done and what could make it better. And my system was on such high alert all the time that it wouldn't really let me slow down either and imagine 
approaching it differently. And the environment I was in, the culture I was a part of also really didn't require it. And so I was trying to outrun my humanity. And I had to get radically honest about needing to stop something. And I needed the space to really admit to myself that that was the next right step. The space to slow down and rest so I could really listen to what on earth my body was requesting and honor it and trust it. That whatever the hell I need to do with this work was no longer... It no longer needed to be birthed from my exhaustion or at the expense of my humanity. It probably didn't ever need to. That my humanity or my exhaustion, that was simply too high a price to pay for whatever work I felt like I needed to get done. And I think I knew that for a long time, but I just hadn't wrapped those words around it. Like I knew it in my head cognitively, but not in my body. There were still parts of me that were like, nope, (laughs) nope, we can't stop. We can't rest. We can't really truly reevaluate. We can't honor those needs. But those parts of me were starting to get outnumbered a bit. And it went from sort of rewriting that narrative mentally to starting to shift the scales through my actions. I had to get to a place where I had the capacity to step away because I started valuing my, re- my well-being. And at first, the practice of restorative yoga, of valuing and centering the support of my physical body, helped create this little buffer, this space where I started to feel what it was like to actually honor what my body was requesting, to center what I needed to start to welcome in the part of my humanity that I had chronically been supported in resisting. And it started slowly. At first, it was stepping away from one of my roles in early 2020. And I knew that once I did, I would have to live with seeing the ball get dropped, all while navigating the beginning of this pandemic. Like I wasn't going to feel the relief of passing the baton to someone or training someone properly to do the work I was doing. And that meant I was going to experience the disappointment of things in some ways going back to the way they were before. Something I had worked so hard to change through the way I approached my work. And that was really difficult and uncomfortable. But what started to feel arguably more difficult and uncomfortable was continuing to trade my well-being for this job. Like, yes, I could keep going, but at what cost? This is the question that was ringing in my mind. At what cost, Naj? Yes, I could do that training. I could take on that project. I could sign on to another round of adjusting to and orienting a new CEO to this space. But at what cost? And is that cost worth it? Is my effort and attention and energy worth investing here? Anyone who knows me knows integrity is a pretty central value in my life. And what I continued to discover as I slowly but surely stepped away was how much I needed to reimagine my definition of integrity. Like, could my definition of integrity include my well being and not come at the expense of it? Because at that point in my life, I disconnected from my needs on a regular basis for the sake of what I called integrity, which at the time looked like doing the right thing with the most people in mind and ensuring that folks felt supported. 
but I was not totally part of folks. I was not part of the people that I had in mind. And so I knew that I was not going to have control over who I passed the baton to or if I passed the baton to anybody in stepping away. That I was going to have to kind of watch those dominoes fall. And part of the wild part about this is I'm sharing just one of my working experiences. I have worked in many spaces that are similar. And there's so much residue that these environments and these experiences have left behind for me and that I would argue if you've had anything resembling anything I've talked about, that they leave behind for you too. Even in sharing during this episode, I can feel some of that anger and frustration arise. And part of that comes from recalling my own experience, but also it's the anger and frustration about these being common experiences. I don't necessarily, again, mean the specifics of my experience as much as I'm talking about the implicit and at times explicit request or demand that our culture puts on us to overextend ourselves, to kind of ignore those natural boundaries in our body, which in turn makes it really difficult for us to imagine a world in which that could be different because we're exhausted and overextended, right? Like it's the anger and frustration about how much these systems with which our society exists within these systems that are dependent on our exhaustion, on focusing on ourselves as individuals at the expense of caring for each other, or on the exploitation and denial of our own humanity. Because rest, just like food, water, sleep, is a fundamental aspect of our well-being. And to deny ourselves of rest is to deny a vital aspect of our humanity. And I spent so many years in a very friction-filled relationship with some of the very things that made me human. The fact that I had limits, physically and or mentally. The fact that I needed to eat or sleep on a regular basis, on a regular schedule. The fact that I needed rest or space to experience emotions that felt so messy to me that could not be contained in a presentable and calm package like anger or grief. Hell, there still is some friction there in my relationship between me and some of the realities of having a body, those aspects of my humanity. Because to center one's well-being to center one's fundamental needs in a world that doesn't exactly value it is an act of resistance. And these feelings and experiences of burnout and overextension and kind of what's on our plate in life in general are common, but they really ought not be normal for long periods of time, you know? Like, Yes, let's continue to normalize and honor that it is human to feel overextended and exhausted sometimes. But how can we radically imagine not existing in that feeling for years? The more that I've centered rest and the honoring of my nervous system, the more capacity I have for what comes up. The more... It becomes a topic of conversation and connection with the people I'm in relationship with. The compassion that I have access to, not only for myself, but also for the people directly and indirectly in my life. Because my need for rest is not unique to me. It's something we all have in common, right? If you have a body, you need rest. The way my nervous system functions on a fundamental level is not unique to me. It's something we all have in common. So in turn, I think the more we can experience, learn about, or feel encouraged to rest, 
I think the more we can support one another's humanity. I could not have stepped away or made these shifts of starting to center these needs in my life without the incredibly supportive friendships and relationships that I have in my life. And so in that way, I kind of think of rest or supporting our humanity as like a group project. We all have our individual responsibilities for sure. And just like any group project, if you just get your individual stuff done, but you don't collaborate and work together, you're not going to end up with a very well executed project. So I really hope over the course of this first season to share what I've learned about rest in a way that not only helps you develop a greater sense of literacy or understanding about the body and curiosity about the body, but also supports you in reimagining how you can center these really vital needs in your life. Because we're not meant to always feel exhausted. Rest is not something that we need to earn. It's a fundamental need regardless of what we did or did not get done. And making our way out of that mindset that rest is something we have to earn or rest is something that's not accessible or that we don't deserve is not just an individual effort. It's also about the ways in which we support one another in rest and ultimately our humanity as well as acknowledging that we exist within a larger system that's dependent on our exhaustion. And so that's going to make it a bit harder. But part of how we shift those systems and those structures is to start behaving differently, to start to center things that are different, which I will dig into quite a bit more in this season. Trust me. There are multiple factors. And I think learning and having our curiosity sparked is an important step in that learning process. Now, I'd be lying if I said after these experiences that I learned my lesson, (laughs) that I always eat when I'm hungry and rest when I'm tired and hydrate when I'm thirsty and I never ever overextend myself working on something. But I absolutely did not learn my lesson. And I'm not entirely sure if learning the lesson is the goal anyway. I remember a therapist I had talking about how balance is like a single pinpoint. And it's really difficult to stay exclusively on that single point. But once we figure out where that point is, we can aim to be around it. Right, We can stay in the neighborhood of that pinpoint, maybe every so often balancing on it specifically, and develop an awareness of when we drift far away from it. Because in some ways, that drifting also means that we can find our way back. And so I am learning this lesson continuously, that as a human, I have a body, and that body has some objective needs. And if I don't tend to those needs, my body will revolt, which is really the body's brilliant and wise way of saying, hey, (laughs) I am wiser than you. You need to stop and take a beat. So I'm continuing to learn to devote time to rest, to acknowledge and have compassion for my resistance to it sometimes to acknowledge and have compassion for every inch of my very messy, messy humanity, no matter how seemingly inconvenient. Because what is my humanity really inconvenient to? A deeply flawed, white supremacist, capitalistic system that is so worth challenging and reimagining. And... As Trisha Hersey of the Nat Ministry, a follow on Instagram that I highly recommend, highly recommend her work, she often says rest is one of the many ways in which we reimagine. It's the place where we dream. Rest is one of the many ways we support each other. It's one of the many ways 
we honor not only our body, but the bodies that came before us. And so between now and next episode, I encourage you to sit with that question for a bit of what is rest for you? What does it allow you to reimagine? Thank you so much again for listening to today's episode of the Protect Your Peace podcast. It was a journey. (laughs) This podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by yours truly, Najee Robbins. And our theme music is by Somatics. There are many ways to support the podcast. If you have the financial means, you can head to protectyourpeace.yoga backslash support. You can also subscribe and or share this with a friend via link or conversation. If you want to stay up to date with all of the new episodes of the podcast, you can hop on my newsletter as well at protectyourpeace.yoga. And last but not least, if there was any part of this episode that reminded you of your own experiences, I invite you to sit tenderly with yourself. I know I have at multiple points in working on this one. So next episode, I'll be digging into one seemingly simple question, which is what is rest? Which again is a great question to ponder and get into conversation about before you give it a listen. So between now and then, I am sending you the support and encouragement to hydrate, nourish yourself in the ways you need, and perhaps to meet the messy parts of your humanness with a bit more kindness and compassion. You make sense and your experiences matter. Thank you again for listening and we will connect soon. Thank you.